Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menounos, your life improvement series starts now. Hit it. (laughs) Hey, Heal Squad fans. It's Heal Squad with Maria Menounos. But it's not Maria Menounos, it's Mr. Maria Menounos. And today we're going to be interviewing life wellness coach, relationship expert, Stefano Sifandos. I want to start with uh, a quote from the uh, from the lad. In order to have the adult life you desire, you must take responsibility for parenting your own inner child. Kelsey Alexandra Meyer. Kevin, that's the same one I pulled too. Well, how how you like that? Catch me outside. That's right. Look how at about that. that. Look at um, that. You know, it, this interview... Um, I didn't see a lot of information. It's not some of our guests. We have books, and we have we have all these materials to go through to get the most out of them. And I didn't see a lot of that mm-hmm. with Stephanos. However, so I went into this like, oh my god, what are we going to talk about? Well, <laughs> you'll find out in this two-parter. We went over a lot, and Kelsey, I give you a lot of credit as well because you know your perspective Thanks. and your needs for dating really, I think, spoke. To a lot of people, and I know we we had a lot of uh, comments because of our Valentine's Day special where we covered relationships, and so we're kind of parlaying off that, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's also fun too, Kev. I have to say, and I think it will speak to a lot of people. Um, it's fun that you know me so well because it's like you can kind of call out some things too that you're like, okay, Kelsey, you're overanalyzing that or not, and I think that's fun because I think so many of us do overthink or we're like we judge ourselves so harshly and it's nice to have someone who's like ah no not so much well well, you know what Kelsey it was twofold in this interview because part of it is that Mm -hmm. but on this interview I don't want people getting the wrong impression of you yeah that's true that's true I appreciate you know you were you were painting a picture of yourself that um was a perennial victim and sufferer and Mm -hmm. you're someone who's you know been the victim of say relationships and love bombing and that you know, my three years with you, I've only seen it once and, you know, but we learned why on this, we learned why it happened. And we, you know, it just to go over some of the stuff. And I I always take my notes, Kelsey, because this is what happens when you were a poor student in high school and college, (laughs) you have to catch up later. So I have to take my notes, but we, uh, we go over how to cultivate self-worth, how to clear past sexual experiences. Didn't even know you needed to do that, by Mm -hmm. the way. Um, we discussed when casual sex is actually okay. And then we went deep on shame and how shame grows isolation. So, yeah. And how shame and guilt are so intertwined. I yes. found that fascinating. And the process of grief that yeah. needs to take place and doesn't. Oh, grief, yes. Yeah, no. So guilt. all that and so much more. We'll look forward to hearing what you all think in the comments. And again, this is just part one, part two. That's a whole other scam. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. You guys, hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, so S- Stephanos, it's so great to have you here. And as I was saying to you before, we got a really big response on our Valentine's Day special where we were talking about 
dating, dating apps, finding the right person, uh, where we go right, where we go wrong. Um, but talking to someone new with your level of expertise, I think you're going to have a lot more to add on the subject. So we're really excited to, to, to get into it with you. And I guess I'll start out by asking, you know, when a person comes to you, and let's start with the, the just in general, something when females come to you, and we'll go to the males after, but when females come to you, you know, what is the greatest need that they have? And where do you start in trying to help them, you know, better themselves and get into the right relationship or find the right person? Yeah, it's a great question. It differs a little bit for everyone. However, there are some fundamental truths that us as human beings carry when entering relationship or actually being into a relationship or just wanting to be in relationship, yearning to be in intimate relationship, right, and be seen essentially by another. And that leads us into to this. The reasons or the reason why we want to move into relationship is to grow, is to grow out beyond the old versions of ourselves that we were. And the reason why we want that, I believe, is that as human beings, one of our prime directives of being human, being in this experience, is to expand and to grow and to be newer versions of ourselves consistently. We have a, an appetite for that. It resides in the in the core of our consciousness. It moves us towards people. It pulls us away from things that we don't like or things that feel unsafe or dangerous to us. So we need to grow as human beings. One of the best vehicles for growth is intimate relationship. The issue is we bring a lot of baggage, unresolved, unaddressed, unconscious pain, trauma, wounds into relationship. And most of it is unknown to us. We have childhood experiences that shape and form the way that we give and receive love, the way that we see ourselves, our identities, our worthiness, what we think we deserve and what we don't. And so when people come to me, and they say, hey, I really want to be in relationship and I'm struggling. I'm having dates that just aren't in alignment. I seem to be dating the same people, the same men over and over again, but just with a different haircut or a different face. And I just, I'm stuck and I don't know what to do. And what really contributes to that is I'm not being seen. I'm not being heard. I'm not being understood. I'm not being appreciated. I'm not being respected. I'm not being acknowledged. And I don't know how to reciprocate that. And the source and the core of that is usually found in unresolved pain from childhood. And I'll just go a little further into this, then I'll pause. Not everyone has trauma, and trauma is big T and little t trauma. It, you know, trauma isn't massive abuse or, uh, or chronic abuse or, or growing up in a war-torn country or surviving a, a, a motor vehicle crash. Trauma can be presented as neglect, very subtle neglect, not being seen, maybe being the middle child, being told once in your life uh, what you did was wrong and you made that mean that I'm wrong and you carry that shame and it compounds and we tell ourselves stories over and over again. And again, that determines the kinds of relationships we attract. And so when we experience pain and we experience suffering and fear growing up and we don't know how to resolve that within ourselves, we carry that into every relationship. We think that we're still that little boy or girl from five years old or six years old or seven years old and we're bringing that version of ourselves in relationship and we're scared. So we're scared to be seen. So we're going to attract people that can't see us or if they do see us, we have protective strategies to push them away but we have no idea any of this is going on. And so we, we repeat and we rinse and we recycle and we repeat and we keep doing the same thing over and over again. The reason why we attract these kinds of relationships is not because we're unworthy or because we don't deserve a healthy, fun, all the things that we want in a relationship. We attract these relationships to literally have a redo in our nervous systems so that we can once that we, we didn't have the power or the aptitude or the intelligence to deal with that situation in a healthier way. As adults, we do, but we have to be aware of it. And that's where, you know, people like me come in. That's where doing deeper self-development work, working with our shadows, working with the parts of ourselves that we've neglected and abandoned, that can really support us in choosing healthier partners. So, <clears throat> wow, there's a lot there. I think, you know, one is we attract those people who don't see us, which you need to do the work. But then some of us attract the people who do see us, but we don't realize they're seeing us or we're not allowing them to see us, right? And so there's work involved in that as well. Um, 
and I know it all goes back to those childhood traumas. So I guess the, is that the first thing that you do is you just you start going with your clients, you start going through their childhoods to to get the so, roadmap. Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll ask a series of questions. The first thing I really do is establish a sense of safety. Because so many of us, not all of us, but so many of us grew up not feeling safe in our bodies and not feeling safe in our voices and our expressions. So again, over time, we develop these habits that minimize our expression and minimize our voice. And imagine you bring that to relationship. If your partner does something that you don't like, maybe they're scrolling through Instagram and they're liking all these very attractive women, and it really doesn't feel good for you, but you don't say anything. It could be the reason why you don't say anything is because that's a pattern that you've cultivated over time because it's safer to keep your opinions and your perspectives to yourself. But the reality is that person won't change their behavior or at least the chances of him changing his behavior in this instance is less if you don't say anything with a real kind of compassionate voice. So I create a sense of safety. And when I say that, I'm not just speaking to psychological and emotional safety. I'm speaking to neurological safety because in a regulated nervous system, that's where we can explore unknown parts of ourselves. That's where we can, quote, unquote, do the inner work. That's where we can change our behaviors. But if we don't feel regulated in our nervous system, i.e. parasympathetic nervous system response, we're attuned to this highly or very low aggravated version of a sympathetic nervous system response. We're in constant alert. Everything and everyone's a threat. Someone behaves in a particular way, says something, it's a little It's a little sarcastic or it's just a joke. We make that mean that we've done something wrong and now we act from that place. And so when we're in a dysregulated state, that's not going to work. So one of the ways that I help people become regulated is I help them get in their bodies. You know, some people have experienced emotional, physical, sexual abuse growing up. It's far more common than we think. A way to deal with that level of abuse or even screaming, volatility, you know, verbal violence is to shut down and disconnect from our bodies. And so helping people come back in their bodies through, you know, self-gentle uh, nurturing touch, through sounding and vocal toning, through me being very safe in my nervous system, talking slow, breathing slow, posturing a, a non-abrasive posture, helping them see that people can be safe. That's the foundations that we lay. And then we begin to explore, you know, these unknown elements of self. It's funny, when you talk about going out of body, is that why certain people do certain kinds of drugs where they yep. have an out-of-body experience so they almost don't <clears throat> have to really experience the intimacy of the, you know, whatever, the, the sex that they're having? I've yep. heard that recently from somebody like, oh, no, this person's on all these kind of drugs to have out-of-body experiences. And it's probably a coping mechanism for the sex, their sex life. And I'd never heard that before. Yeah, it can be a compulsion and an addiction and a way of avoiding what we need to feel to close the loop on that experience so that we can be done with it. But the ego self, the part of self that is attached to familiarity, identifies with what is the norm or what is familiar and doesn't like to let that go, irrespective of whether it's healthy or unhealthy for us. And so we will do whatever it takes to avoid looking at the thing and orient, orienting and facing the thing that we need to really look at. Drugs is a very convenient way of doing that. Anything that inserts massive amounts of distraction and pleasure and or pleasure, food, anything in excess like sex, adrenaline, adventure, novelty, Anything that does that is going to pull us away from looking at the true versions of ourselves, the ones that are very uncomfortable. Can you give us, like, just for our audience, a few tools? I know you said, like, like touch, a few other tools of, like, how we could get into our bodies if we're, like, starting to spiral. Yeah. So one of the things that's really important when getting into our bodies is actually being in the present moment. And so when we're not in the present moment, we're time traveling, we're either in the past unconsciously or consciously remembering what was done to us or what happened to us or what happened with us so that we can prepare for it and keep ourselves safe, or we're projecting in the future and really anxious and worrying. So one of the ways so we want to be in the present moment as much as possible. One of the ways to do that is mindfulness training. So super simple. For example, right now I'm in my room, I have a plant up there. I'm going to look at five objects. 
I'm going to characterize five elements of those objects or five characteristics of those objects. So I'm looking at a pot plant right now. It's a ceramic color. It's a big green vine. It has some discoloration on some of the leaves and I'm really getting present to my environment. And I'll do this for as long as I need to until I can start to feel like I'm grounded again. I may also grab my finger here and I'll squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Squeeze each finger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And come into the body and look at my finger when I'm squeezing and feel my finger as it's being squeezed. I may also start to breathe really slow and track my breath as it moves through my body. Like really, so I don't want to necessarily breathe deep, but I want to breathe slow. I may want to tap my feet, just like tap my feet, just like this. I want to get in the body in the present moment. I may say something to myself like, I am safe in this moment. That was then, this is now. When I look around me, I'm safe. If I'm hyperventilating, as an example, a lot of people go through this, they have, they have anxiety and they experience it's a very common thing, especially in the Western world. A really great technique to help pull carbon dioxide and help calm the nervous system is just cup your hands over your nose and mouth and just breathe really slow through your nose. That can help calm you down, help come back into the body. Drink a glass of water. Go for a walk. Watch your feet move as you're walking. Very simple things to do. You don't need any, any external tools. You don't need any, just yourself and your attention and your awareness. Maybe if you have a solid relationship with someone that's in your space at that time, ask for a hug. Again, your own gentle touch is good. Vocal toning is very important. <clears throat> Vocal toning, there's a, there's a great technique called the vooing technique. And this technique is a, it's an ancient breath technique and it activates the parasympathetic nervous system through stimulating the vagus nerve that sends information to our brain to, to let us know that we're safe and grounded. And the technique is think of a foghorn and the foghorn is on a um, dock and it's a very uh, stormy night and a very um, dense foggy night and the ship can't see the dock to dock but it hears the foghorn and it comes to the foghorn. The foghorn keeps going and going and going. You think about the foghorn, and I'll do the sound in a moment to show you, but you think about the foghorn being this, this true north star almost, calling you home and you're the ship. And the fog is the disillusion sometimes that we experience or the mental chatter or the, the negative stories that we tell ourselves when we get lost in those and we don't know where to go. And that coming home means that we feel safe in our bodies. And so you'll take a breath in through your nose, you'll pause, you'll feel what's happening in your body, you'll repeat as many times as you need to. You can lay down and have your eyes closed if you feel safe enough to do so. You can sit up, preferably with leaning against something. That can be very helpful as well. Many techniques, of course, there are many more, but there are really accessible techniques there to help you regulate yourself and make decisions from a healthier place. Because when we're dysregulated, we make decisions from a panic place, including choosing the quote-unquote wrong people. Right. And I think we choose them too <clears throat> based on, like you were saying, things that happened in our past. You know, our past, you know, our past traumas, big and small. Mm. Um and I think that's the hardest thing is, is to, and I'm sure that's what you work on, right? Is to try to get the client or the person you coach to understand maybe what went on in their childhoods, get the blueprint, get them to understand, well, now don't you see why you'd be attracted to this person who is not right for you or this person who has this certain personality trait? In your experience, is it possible to, to change that, to to alter that in a person so now they're attracted to ms right mr right etc etc well the answer is 100 yes if people are willing to and you know all things being equal there are a number of variables that would impact and influence that but it's very possible i i, I support people in that on a daily basis where people really make massive changes in their lives 
And it's not only helping them understand their past so they can connect to it and rewrite the story in a new way. It's to feel what was unfelt. I'll give you a personal example, right? So as a kid, I grew up in a very violent, volatile home and I would freeze a lot. And so I would literally, as my father was yelling or, or hitting me or being physically, emotionally violent, I would just freeze and I wouldn't be able to move. I'd run underneath my bed and I'd just be there and I would barely breathe because I didn't want to move. I didn't want to be heard, right? That pattern played out for a very long time in my life, up until probably late teenagehood. And and after that, I, I, I switched and I you know, coming into deeper adolescence, testosterone moving through my body, really wanted to get my power back. I became more fight or flight orientated. I became more aggressive. I became what my upbringing was. So me understanding that helps, but I was still showing up in relationship one of two ways, either in very older young childhood developmental patterns of freezing. And so if I was having an argument with a partner, I'd either say nothing and really be quiet or I'd be really emotionally aggressive. And I was oscillating in these extremes because I experienced extremes and I was just mimicking that. So until I was able to heal that part of me that thought it was unsafe to speak or be seen, I would never really speak up in relationship. And if I did, it would be so intense and so abrasive that the message wasn't heard anyway. So for me, I had to heal. I had to feel what was unfelt. Like, what did I really want to do as a child? I wanted to scream. I wanted to say stop. I wanted to say no. I had to go through psychodramatic processes of that and release that through my nervous system and through my body in safe spaces because we feel, you know, relational neuroscience tells us that the, the, the healing is in the safety in the presence of other human beings that carry that safety. So we have to not all the time, but there is part of our journey where we heal in the presence of others, where we diffuse shame when we're met with non-judgment and compassion. So I had to go through many of these processes myself. And look, the reality is I still do. We still do. We never stop growing. You know, I just had a, I had a child nearly a year ago. She has illuminated so much of what I've worked on and what I've been aware of, but layers of that now. So now I'm a new version of myself. I have a new identity or multiple new identities. I've got to work with that. So the, the work never stops per se, but it does really begin with, for me, is a combination of, yes, rewriting the stories and having a cognitive understanding, but also releasing the deep pain from our physical bodies. Okay, so I'm going to get a little more basic with you if I can. You know, one of the things that I see um, in, in um, people I know is they, they, they want to meet the right partner and yet, when you'll show them people that you think could be right, they're like, oh, but I'm just not attracted to, they're boring. They're, you know, even though it's the person is dedicated and, and loving and supportive and evolved and successful, all these other things, it's like, yeah, but I'm just not, because they're still attracted to that kind of rock star mentality or that, that person that is um, exciting, but yet is wrong for them. And that's something I, you know, are you able to alter that, get them to that place? I mean, I've seen people get there on their own. Like, you know, they'll hit a certain age where they'll say, I'm done. You know, I really just want a best friend and partner now. But I, but uh, some people never get there. But are you able to, when your work, through your work, are you able to help people get to that place where they start seeing, say, better partners for themselves? Yeah, most, most definitely. And I think what you're speaking to is the unavailable partner, right? And the simplicity of that is so many children grow up with unavailable parents. And so they're just emulating that as adults. So they're attracting unavailable parents, again, to have a redo, like to, to, to make it right. But they don't know that that's why they tr keep tra attracting exciting unavailable parents. As well, there's a crossover. Like if you grew up in volatility, you may misinterpret that as excitement and you need excitement to, to feel safe or to feel fulfilled. It's such a paradox, right? But you just address that issue with the attraction to unavailability and you redefine your own self-worth and what you deserve. And absolutely you can make changes sooner rather than later with respect to who you attract. How do you redefine your self-worth? Spend time with people that actually see you and don't demean you. 
mm-hmm. who don't who don't put you down. Because that's the thing, like we become addicted to what's familiar. So we'll, we'll spend time with people that don't treat us well and we think it's normal, but it's not. So you've got to, you know, you, you've got to be able to elevate yourself outside of the forest so that you, outside of, yeah, the forest, so you can see that it's a forest because we can't see the forest through the trees. So you've got to take that 30,000 foot view. And so in order to do that, we have to make changes in our lives. Often though, what prompts us to make changes is we hit rock bottom and we say, man, enough's enough. I can't, I can't keep doing this anymore. And that's often what prompts us to actually change. But before we hit rock bottom, like we experience that intensity where it's so much, um, the pain of the unknown is just too big and the pain of change um, has to be bigger than the pain of the unknown for us to actually change. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. I love that answer about the self-worth. That makes so much sense. Um, I saw in one of your videos too about cleaning sexual energy from past partners. Mm. That one, that just seems like there's a lot to unfold there, right? <laughs> and you even said it's not necessarily toxic partners, It's it, but it does include toxic partners, but just partners in general. Can you tell us? Explain what that is and what yeah. why there's a need for that or if there's a need for that. Yeah. There's, you know, I think there's a there's a physical component to sexuality and there's a spiritual, emotional component to sexuality. And for various reasons, that's imprinted upon us so that we can bond and that we can connect and we can create small family units to raise children, essentially the survival of our species at some level, right? But often what happens is the sexual imprints that are imprinted upon us, um, 
they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily occur when we're in a really conscious state. Like think about how many people have sex and, and share such deep intimacy and vulnerability. Um, and, and, you know, sex is a special thing and it's also a very primal thing. It's both. It can be a deeply spiritual healing experience and it can be something that's just physiologically um, pleasurable and, and more and all of the above. But think about how many people have drunken or drugged up sex. Think about how many people have sex when they don't really want to and the emotional signature that's attached to that. Like, no, I don't want to do this right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, think about what that leaves, the imprint that leaves on your psyche around worthiness, around deservedness, around being in power or strength. It's, 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 it's really tough and it damages the psychology. It damages our psychology. There's also, this is, this is a pseudoscience thing. And so I don't think it's accepted by the scientific community completely, but there's something called microchimerism. And they did a bunch of studies. And I, don't, I think one of the reasons why it's not fully accepted is because there needs to be more studies done. It's not enough. But long story short, when, when a man and woman are having sex and a man ejaculates in that woman, that ejaculate remain, can, be, can be found to remain in the woman for a very, very long time for years, um, including when a woman has a child that is male, um, there is something that is also, and, and I'm, I'm not completely, um, uh, I'm, I'm probably not saying this in the most accurate way. That's why I'm referencing microchimerism. And if you do some research on it, you, know, you can find out more about it yourself. But there's this, the point of what I'm saying is, is this interchange that transpires that is that leaves an imprint physically in us as well and it's for men men also um and also psychologically and emotionally and so being very selective of who we engage with because you got to you got to think about this a person comes with so much history sometimes a lot of trauma sometimes a lot of drama sometimes a lot of pain sometimes a lot of fear and that gets moved through sexual interaction. When you hug someone, you're just hugging someone with clothes on, your microbiome, your personal microbiome is interacting with theirs. When you kiss someone and exchange saliva, you, there's so much that's exchanged in that, in that small, just that kiss, that one kiss. Can you imagine sex? So there's, there's a lot here. Like we, we really want to be more diligent with who we're engaging with at deep in deeper ways. And the oxytocin too, right? right? Isn't there that a big thing in terms of an exchange? There's definitely a hormonal exchange for sure. There's, and it's not just oxytocin. I mean, and, and again, oxytocin is a bonding hormone. It keeps us close. It helps us uh, stay present to our partners as well. And sometimes we can become I want to say addicted to that, but addicted to the feeling of being needed or feeling comfortable as well. And sometimes, go back to what I said earlier, we can feel very comfortable with the quote unquote wrong people just because they're familiar. Okay. So let, let's talk about, you know, when you have this exchange and it is with someone that um, is toxic or dark, let's say that, you know, how have you seen that affect people? And then how do we cleanse it? Yeah. So the answer is yes. When, when we, and you've got to also think about this for a moment. If we're constantly attracting, so if we're in a pattern of attracting very dark people or, or very dense, toxic people, unhealthy personalities, people in our lives that have a lot of drama and trauma and pain, it doesn't mean that we're that person. It could mean that, but it could also mean that we're addicted to being the savior we're addicted to being the hero of that person's story because maybe when we grow up, when we grew up, sorry, we experienced needing to be the savior of our parents. We did everything we could to keep them together or we enmeshed emotionally with our mother where she she projected all of her unconscious needs onto that, that child, that, that eldest child, because, you know, if the father wasn't around, it's, I'm just giving you two examples, right? Mm -hmm. And so as, as adults, we develop these patterns of needing to save people. And that's how we gain our self-worth and our value by helping other people, by prioritizing their needs and minimizing ours. So all of these are examples in our lives. These are patterns that play out to help us identify where we can grow and where we can evolve. 
How we cleanse that is learning to set healthy boundaries, learning to say, that's a starting point, learning to say no, valuing ourselves no matter how painful it is to let that person go because now we're not in the role that we normally are in. And that just means we have a fear that we're losing our identity. No one wants to lose their identity. That's why, you know, certain drugs are so intense because you literally start to lose your identity. You start to unravel. Plant medicine does the very same thing. Plant sacred sacrament does the same thing. You start to unravel everything you know to be true. And that's very daunting and scary for people. So if you're pushing away or saying no to relationships that you've been familiar with for 20, 30 years, 40 years, that can be very daunting. But setting healthy boundaries is the first step to cleansing that. Again, spending time with people that see you, that appreciate you, that are going to call you forward and challenge you, and that aren't going to take advantage of you. That's very healthy. Deeper levels, engaging in deeper levels of self-care. You know, really learning to say no is a big thing for people. Um, you know, there was something else in one of your interviews too, and this is going to, this might seem crass, but I think it's relatable. You know, what about in terms of casual sex? You know, for people that, single people that want to have, let's just say they just want that, you know, in a night, male or female. Yeah, great. Nothing, there's nothing, to me, there's nothing wrong with casual sex. There's nothing, I'm not against it. I, um, I'm, I'm an advocate for it. I'm an advocate for most relationship containers. In fact, I'd say all relationship containers pending one caveat. What's the come from? What's internally within you? Why are you having casual sex? Are you having it because you're attempting to fill a void within you and you're avoiding to feel something that you need to feel and so you're, uh, you're attached to extreme or intense pleasure to distract you from that? Or are you having casual sex because you are a virile person that feels young in their body and also enjoys the sensuality of being with someone else? Like getting really clear on what our come from is. Like what's the reasons for why we're doing what we're doing? The underlying unconscious reasons. There's nothing wrong with casual sex, but again, choose your partners wisely. Get to know them in ways that are really important to you. And also, you know, learn to trust yourself and trust your process, but know yourself enough to choose the right people that you allow to enter in your life. And you probably also have to, with casual sex, be with a partner that also is willing to have casual sex and maybe for the right reasons as well. Ideally. I mean, ideally, that's a, that's a better match. And so how do we do that? Simple tool and technique. S simple to understand, not easy to execute because we're also scared of rejection and abandonment. Core wounds that we experience often when we're young is conscious, clear, open communication. Hey, this is what I want. This is the stage of life that I'm at at the moment. This is why I'm in this place. I find you really attractive. This is what my commitments can be to you right now. This is what I plan to do. Does this align with you? Should we check in every few days, every week, every month? That level of honest communication, we lack that in our society, generally speaking. Oh my goodness, do we ever. We're so scared. We're so scared to have real yeah. conversations. I was like, right. like that for so long because I didn't want it's not that I, I didn't want to be rejected, but I didn't want to be humiliated. Um, I didn't want to be told I was wrong because my wound was, one of my wounds was I was always told I was wrong growing up, or often told I was wrong growing up. And so I didn't want to hear that as an adult. So I would right. avoid those types of conversations. I would placate and pretend and wear all these masks. And that's what we all do. I shouldn't say we all do that. So many of us do that. We wear so many different masks pretending to be someone that we're not because if that mask gets hurt emotionally, that's easier than the real self getting hurt. <laughs> Interesting. I was going to ask why, and you, I feel like you kind of just touched on it, but like for someone who is like, just wants casual, is there something like for someone who won't commit or is like, doesn't want to commit is, is there something deeper there? Or can people just want casual period? Yeah, both. Sometimes yeah. there's something deeper and sometimes people are just in a place in their lives where they don't, their commitments are placed elsewhere and, and in, in their own mm -hmm. value set and their priorities that they're holding at that time, that period of their life, being in a long-term committed relationship that require, they realize that it requires effort. It mm. requires work. It requires unpacking of self. There can be, you know, there can be, um, 
uh, not tumultuous, but they can be deep challenges that obviously help us grow, but they're not, they're not in a stage of life and maybe they're building their businesses or they're more focused on adventure and travel and exploration and sensing and experiencing freedom in their lives. And so being in a committed relationship isn't where they're at. Nothing wrong with that. But can you own that? Can you speak to that? Can you clearly yeah. communicate that and not tell people, right. Right. you know, what they want to hear just because you want to have sex with them? That's manipulation. Right. It, right. And then also not even being honest with yourself. Correct. Because, you know, I think, you know, in my past, I wasn't honest with myself. I, you know, it, I was just going about, just going about, going about, going about, yep. and not even thinking about it. Um, when we talk about past, you know, I know you, your big thing is, you know, being able to, it's how the past can affect our relationships. And our past relationships are our past shortcomings, errors, and things like that. Um, I know you do work hard on letting go of the past as well, right? Because that also is going to affect your daily life and certainly your future relationships. Do you deal with a lot of people that come to you with shame over their past? So, you know, that mm. they've failed in love uh, or they haven't been the best partner or they haven't been the best person or, you yeah. know, do, do you, do, you know, guilty or they're ashamed. Do, do you deal with a lot of that? Yeah, a great deal of shame, man. Like so, so I, I really feel our society is plagued with shame, and as a result of that, this is a really interesting thought that I've been having probably the last few months. How shame and grief are really deeply intertwined, and that we feel so much shame for certain experiences that we've had or things that we could have done better, and we internalize that. And we make ourselves the villain, right? And as a result of that shame, we spend so we exert so much internal energy trying to avoid the shame because it's very dense. It's very, very intense. It's very pain. It can be very painful. And as a result of being in this dance with shame, but not really feeling it, but needing to feel it, but not, and avoiding it and exerting all this energy, we actually don't give ourselves permission to grieve the loss that we've experienced in life or in relationship or the loss of self, right, or the loss of a part of our identity. And because we don't allow ourselves to grieve, that grief gets really stuck in our bodies. And so now we're dancing between shame and grief, and there is no way we can attract healthy relationships, whether they're platonic, romantic, sexual, whatever, from a place where our bodies are riddled with shame and grief. And we don't even know it because we develop very astute strategies coping strategies to deal with it, like working more, getting into our routines, and we think our life's okay because we're functioning, but underneath that, we don't feel okay. I'm not saying every human being's like this. I'm saying that every human being will go through stages of this. Some last longer than others, but we don't get through the stages in really effective, healthy ways because we're in constant states of avoidance. I love, I love what you said too about shame being so prevalent in our society. I think I'm the student of history. I'd like to think I am. That was my major in college. But, mm. you know, if it feels like societies have always laid shame upon people, your know, religions have and such. But I think because of social media and, you know, the fact that everything's just so much louder and so much out there, uh, I, I think shame has become a lot heavier. Um and I do think it's it's really leveled our, you know, it really levels people. I like what you said about grief, because I don't think people get to the place to really to 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 the grief. It's just they stay in the shame. But realizing that, okay, I have the shame, which is now going to give me grief, and now I'm gonna grieve, whatever it is, whatever loss that has taken place. And the loss, like you said, could be for you as a human being. Could be, you know, I lost time and I lost so much time over all the guilt I've had or whatever it is. But I think that that that's where shame is so prevalent. I like the idea that grief could be to acknowledge that there's grief involved in a grieving process. I feel like that's a step out of it, but you know, I, you know, I don't, I wonder what else we can do as a society to reduce this because everything's judgment. You know, you, people aren't honest. I know, I know a lot of my female friends would never feel, um, in a shameful society, honest enough to say, hey, I just want to have intimacy for one night, you know, or just I want to just enjoy this yeah. moment. 
And that's it. I, you know, I feel like a lot of my female friends would be afraid to say that. I think my guy friends would be afraid for other reasons as well. But I think a lot of it yeah. is tied to the shame and the judgment and everything is black and white. There is no gray. It's good or bad. And I just wonder, you know, what we can do to start yeah. fixing that. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, you, you mentioned you were a student of history, and I don't know exactly what area of history, but many traditional uh, ancient indigenous cultures, um, you know, you know, p- particularly uh, Native American cultures here, they had grieving processes, and so what happens is when we see shame festers and grows like a cancer in solitude or i should say in isolation not solitude in being alone and so we have to bring our shame to non-judgmental spaces this is how we heal this is how we make the taboo not taboo anymore by being met in non-judgment and being met with compassion being met with curiosity genuine curiosity so i'll go back to grief for a moment when something happened and it was a traumatic event for the community, they had rituals and practices. We miss rituals. We miss authentic rituals in our world today. We live in such a fast-paced world, grounding rituals that connect us to humanity, to our own humanity, to nature, to earth, to our processes, to our own internal grievances. They had processes for grieving, and they would grieve together. They would grieve not in solitude, not alone, but in presence to each other without judgment. That's why, you know, men's groups exist. That's why sister circles exist. That's why certain gatherings and experiences, you know, spiritual communities exist to come together to share the burden. It's not, you know, it's not the load that we carry, it's how we carry it. And often how we carry it is in isolation. And we say we have to learn to distribute the load, not only, you know, internally between the various areas of our own psychology, but also with other people that we trust, respect, and revere. You know, friends, people that can, again, see us and understand us and are are willing to hear us and not layer their own and enforce their their values. This is what we do in society. We force our ideologies and our dominant values on others. And we say, if you're not doing what I'm doing or what I want to do, you're doing it wrong. Therefore, you're wrong. Therefore, fuck you. That's the energy, right? And so who wants to bring that? Who wants to bring their truth then to someone that's going to possibly do that? So we're going to keep it inside. And it destroys us and it eats us away. And that's stomach ulcers. That's cancer. That's right. diabetes. All of that's it, that's yeah. eating disorders. That's all mm-hmm. of that stuff. It's a psychosomatic connection. So we got, we got to, to answer your question in short, we've got to meet in physical person, in, in groups of, non, of, of people that are non-judgmental and compassionate and meet each other there. That's going to be the healing for us. Is that why, probably why candlelight vigils are you know, can be effective or even some, some anonymous groups, I call anonymous or whatever, yeah. you know, people come together and it's judgment-free where they can just yeah. express it's themselves. A big part and, of it. Yes. Yeah. It's a big part of it because, because, you know, when you, when you're non-judgmental, you, you physically don't hold tension in your body. You don't hold aggression in your body. See, there's something called neuroception. So even though we're in virtual screens, it's more really when you're in your physical person with someone, but whenever you're, out and about and you're in you know you're in the city or you're wherever you are and there's people there your 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 um nervous system through your enteric system through here is evaluating as as are your eyes and all your physical senses they're evaluating the safety and the efficacy of your environment and it's feeding information to your brain telling you that the space and place that you're in is safe when you're having a communication with someone, you're, there are so many unconscious assessments of what that person is doing, their mannerisms, how they're behaving, their nonverbal cues, telling you, is this person safe? And so when we carry judgment, we're not safe because we're full of tension and our nervous systems pick up on that. We may not be able to articulate it in direct language, but we know. So that's why sometimes, you know, when you're talking to someone, they just give you a bad vibe and you don't know why, like they're, they're quite pleasant. It's your nervous system saying something's not right about this person. We have to create space. And it could be because their haircut reminds you of someone that abused you 15 years ago. And it's, that's what your brain is telling you. It really can be that, but that's a very, it's a very it's true, true thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's strange, but, yes. but that's how we operate. So we have to, when we hold judgment, we're holding tension. 
and therefore we're creating distance. And if we're creating distance, we don't feel safe. And if we don't feel safe, we can't be vulnerable. And vulnerability and truth sharing brings us together. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, They keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. It's so crazy. I was listening to Brene Brown's um, Netflix special and she was talking about how you can't be vulnerable without courage. Like they go so hand in hand, but like our society doesn't allow that. We don't see vulnerability vulnerability as courageous Mm. and anyways everything you just said like that just blew my mind because it's so true and I think one thing you guys were talking about this Kev you briefly brought it up but something that I think a lot of females and I know my generation's kind of trying to change it but it's like the casual sex thing with girls it's like we carry so much shame around that because it's like we're not supposed to do that Right. And so it's, but it's crazy. It's so hard. And I know so many of my friends like carry so much shame around that, but I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, it's like, they keep going to the same people and the same like shitty people because they don't want to speak up or talk about their shame. And so they're, it's almost like they hide it. And then it's this vicious cycle. I don't know. That's just something like all that came up when you were saying that. And I was like, I don't even know how to dive into that or heal that, but it's definitely something I think that like women really struggle with Mm. yeah like how do you like how do you even go about tapping into that or like not feeling the shame that comes with that is it connect he had said earlier about you know making relationships with people that will not judge you for that and actually like speaking up people who are like well other friends and you know male and female that that aren't going to judge you or shame you for it. I mean, again, yeah. I'm only Stephanos. I'm going by what some of the things you had already said from my notes here. But yeah, Stephanos, yeah. I'd love to hear that because I do think I think shame and amplified shame from society. I think people try to be vulnerable, Kelsey, but then they get killed or they're you know, <laughs> totally. No, I agree so much. But yeah, Stephanos, any help that you can give in that area because I do, I do think it's crippling and it prevents the honesty, honesty right. yourself, honesty to others, and. So you hide it and it's, yeah. And it, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you, you know, courage, the, the first step, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step and the first step is often the hardest, not necessarily the most uh, important. Every step's important along the way, but it's often the hardest because there's so much unknown. And so we really require a lot of courage. And so, you know, if we know that we need to make some changes in our lives, because you, we're talking to people right now that know they need to change, but don't know how. Because talking to people that don't know they need to change or don't think they need to change is I don't want to say it's a waste of time. It's never a waste of time, but it's it's really a hard, it's a hard battle. It's a hard battle. So they've got to cross over to a point where I've hit rock bottom. I have some understanding. I know I need to change. I'm just not sure how to exactly. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and figure out. I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go through the process. You know, like it's that it's that type of thing. Um, but to come back to your question around, you know, where do we start? You know, for me, something that. I've done in my life is when I know I've needed a change and I haven't been sure exactly, I've got an idea, but I've got an idea of what the change needs to be. I'll often start reading books, watching movies, documentaries, asking questions, talking about it more. I'll make it a real priority in my life and I'll start to seek people that are doing the thing that I want to do. Like I'm going to look for mentors. I'm going to look for people that are better than me. I'm going to look for people that have been in the space for a while. So for example, if, you know, I, I grew up again, like with a lot of aggression and as an adult, I have, I can have a short fuse. It's one of my shadows. I can be very abrasive. I can go immediately into fight or flight and get very defensive and hyper protective. 
So when I when I noticed that about me about myself finally in a way that's like I really well firstly I, I didn't like it about myself so I had to move through the self forgiveness of that and the compassion and non judgment towards myself I had to get through that first and then when I got to the point of I really want to change this like I'm neutral towards it now but I don't I don't think it's very healthy in relationships so I want to change it so I started reading and researching and looking at, at people that had had anger issues in the, in their own lives and grew up with anger and what did they do and how did they do it? and that can be a really tangible, easy thing to do and surround yourself with people that have been on that path and on that journey to inspire you to change because we all want that. We all want – this is one of the reasons why we pedestalize, you know, whether it's movie stars or certain politicians or leaders because we see what they have and we want what they have, right? Now, pedestalizing them is not necessarily the most intelligent thing to do, but being inspired by parts of their journey and being willing to learn, that's really cool. Because then we can grow. We all want to know someone's been on that path before us and they've done it. It gives us proof. That inspires us and actually reinforces our intention to make the change. Because if we think or believe that no one has done it before us, it will be harder to make the change. So surround yourself with people that have done what you want to do and research that space. It's tough, you know, because I feel like men um, – the partners have a big hand in this too, because if Kelsey or her friends say to some male, Hey, I want casual sex tonight, that male in that moment is going to be like, Great, fan, freaking tastic. The problem is, you know, is, is the next man when Kelsey wants to, let's say she does that, you know, continually, which is her prerogative, but then the next man who she wants to, you know, maybe have um, a long term relationship with comes around and says, why you've had so many partners, you know, and I don't want to be with someone like you. And, and I guess that's again on us as men to get past that, to grow up, um, to, to see things differently. But I, but I feel like, you know, Kelsey, I'm hoping your generation, the men of your generation are better than the men of mine that I saw and the ones above us. You know, I don't know that, but I guess if you carry yourself, in a way, if you, and if you can have the strength to carry yourself in a way where you don't care what they think, then the right person will see that and be attracted to it, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. But stuff is, I'm just, I'm sensitive to it because I see, I see what like my younger friends go through, females, you know, with this. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it, it is tough. It's, it's tough when we're shamed for our desires. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's really what, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. tough. That we're shamed for our desires yeah, and what we really want. Right. Irrespective, irrespective of it's not someone else's place. Um, so it's not my place to say to, to Kelsey, unless Kelsey asks, we're just using you as an example, if that's okay, Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it, it's, it's not my place to say, Oh, you know, your desire for X means this. Like it's not my place to psychoanalyze you and tell you, oh, it's coming from an unhealthy place. Unless, of course, you're asking me and you're asking me for reflection, I can give you my perspective. Whether you take it on or not is your business. But but this is what we do in society. We we give unsolicited advice and judgments towards people. And people feel that. People feel that yes. in an unconscious way. And they feel it directly because some people are just very direct and abrasive with it as well. No one has a right to say to you, hey, this thing that you want, you, you you shouldn't want it, especially especially if you know it's not causing harm to society or to others. That's your right. your personal thing. Now, right. again, fine line here. If we're close friends and I'm seeing you engaging in self destructive behavior, I may say, "Hey, I really want to share something with you that's important." And I realize this could be a sensitive subject, and I don't want to lose our friendship. But as a friend who I love and I trust, I really want to share this with you. Can, can I share something with you? You know, like, and then there's ways to communicate that can at least bridge a gap. But the, the judgment piece, you know, the the I'm emotionally triggered and charged because what you're doing threatens my view of reality, and therefore I'm going to shame you for it. No, we, that's that's we're all losing in that way. Like every, every single person is losing. Yeah, you know, Stefan said the only time I would ever want to intercede as Kelsey's friend is uh, going back to the um, the exchange of energy that takes place with sex. Now. I will tell you, regular guy perspective, Stephanos, I have seen males and females have sex with dark partners, toxic partners, and I have seen it profoundly affect them 
their health, their mental health. I've seen them disintegrate. Now, um, I don't know if I've been the carrier of it, but I certainly have been on the receiving end, even myself. Didn't realize it, you know, at the time, didn't realize it. But now looking back, I've seen, I mean, I've seen really people go to the darkest places on earth because they were being intimate. And again, I don't have science to back this up. This is just regular guy theory, but I have seen an exchange of dark energy and I've seen it pollute the other person. Um, have you seen that as well? Yes, very much so. And see, so what happens is those individuals that are just stuck in their dark energy, stuck in their own pain and their own fear, maybe have strong narcissistic tendencies or are or have been or should be, quote unquote, should be diagnosed with NPD or narcissistic personality disorder yeah. or some type of personality disorder. Right. Those people need a victim. They yes. need someone that is empathetic. They need someone that is compassionate and giving and a people pleaser. They need it. They feed off that. And guess what? The people pleaser and the victim needs a villain. They need a perpetrator. So here's the triangle. Villain, victim, savior. So you can be all three to yourself or you can have them outside of yourself. So if you're a victim, you're going to need a villain to a villain to reinforce the victim attitude. You're also going to need a savior, someone to save you or even save yourself. You've got to prove to yourself that you can save yourself and you've got to reinforce that belief or reinforce that archetype or reinforce that posture. So these people that are very dark in them, in the, they're just trapped in their pain. They've developed a coping strategy of feeding energetically, emotionally off the, the victim mentality of others. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen people, people's physical health be compromised as a result. Mm. I've seen their mental health be compromised and I've seen them turn dark too. I've seen, I've seen people go from being, you know, the nicest people to just so dark and sick. And I also have, um, you know, heard from some other, like, I don't know, people would term them woo-woo, but some other woo-woo experts have said that um Things like mind altering, things like alcohol or drugs makes it an easier gateway for that energy, for that dark energy to get in. 100%. Yeah, because, we, we, you know, our, our emotional channels are more open. Our, from, from, see, here from a, um, a more physiological perspective, right, as opposed to a spiritual perspective, is when we're, on, when we're in, on any substance that intoxicates us and moves us out of our familiar states of consciousness, our, our, um, internal state our hormones our nervous systems where we're less aware we're more open in the sense that um, our threat funnels have gone down so we're not as vigilant and if we're not as vigilant we're allowing more into our lives and into our um, being through our physical senses and we're not in our own stable frame of reference so we can't discern as well either and so of course it's going to be easier for someone that is willing and wanting to take advantage of us or someone to do that. Wow. <laughs> Kelsey, so we have, to, we have to be careful. I know. Well, and you know what's funny? I was listening to after we we had Mark Groves on for our, our little Valentine's Day okay, special. Okay, one more thing maybe that's preventative. Huh? What if Okay, no, it's, again, I'm going really regular guy on this. But is wearing some kind of condom contraceptive and maybe not kissing. So there's an, I'm being very serious right now. So there's, yeah. would that reduce the possibility of this kind of exchange? Yeah. So what you're referring, what you're referring to is a, um, an energetic cleanse or an energetic um, protection. And it could look like, I mean, again, you know, there's, there's been a bunch of studies done on, how, how our beliefs form our physical reality and shape our physical reality, right? And so if you really truly believe this unequivocally, potentially it could quote unquote work. But even going through a process of um, protecting yourself with white light or like a meditation or a visual, visualization or, or, you know, being asking for, you know, a connect to a higher source, God, power, universe, whatever it may be for greater awareness um, when, you know, entering a party or something and not wanting to, um, 
you know, be taken advantage of. But again, we're going to be careful. Like, are we coming from this fear sensor that we're really scared people are going to take advantage mm-hmm. of us? That's that's probably, if that's the case, it's probably something for us to look at internally as well. Like, why are we so scared? Why are we so paranoid? Like, what's going on for us that we feel that fear so deeply? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I think those practices can be very helpful in helping us be more discerning and more aware of what's out there as well. Yeah, there so are a lot of wounded people. Sorry. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I think more than ever. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Five years. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Kelsey, yeah. what were you going to say? The discerning thing is interesting to me because when we had Mark on and he was talking about um, like the oxytocin that gets released when you have sex. And oftentimes for females, it's like the oxytocin remains in your body longer. So that's why men can be like, okay, sick. Bye. See you later. And women are like, often have that like attachment. And he was talking about too. He's like, I don't care if you have casual sex, but like that inhibits your ability to discern if that's the right person for you, because literally your oxytocin is like, yes, they're the right person. I love them. And he's like, no, you might not love them. You might've just loved what you just did. But anyways, the discerning part is so interesting to me because I've never thought about it like in that way and i don't know so it's crazy yep we 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 can very much you know it's very specifically speaking to the hormonal rushes that we get like the limerence phase of relating or the honeymoon period mm, yeah we are that is a that is a drug that is a concoction of yeah it is yeah of hormones that just completely it, it, it creates such a polarization in the way that we see the world or we see the best in that person. They can't do no wrong. They're perfection in perpetual motion. And then when that honeymoon phase wears off and it does <laughs> at some point, yeah. we start seeing different aspects of this person. This is not what we signed up for. They never were like this before. What's going on now? I can't believe I'm with this person. And instead of going deeper into self and deeper into the relationship and deeper into work, we conveniently break up without really growing or mm. learning from that relationship. And that's a problem because we just continue to perpetuate old patterns and old wounds that don't serve us and don't serve humanity. Okay, Heal Squad, that wraps our interview part one with Stefano Sifandos. Kelsey, uh, a lot there for you to process, certainly for me, but a lot for you as well. Oh, yeah. And just wait for part two, because I'm going to have to process a lot more when we talk about (laughs) love bombing, getting the ick, what that means and why. We talk attachment styles and relationships, mother and father wounds, the four different people you'll date. Yeah, I mean, my Lord. Oh, and he talks about the Imago process and how it could be the key to saving your relationship if you're in one. Kevin, we talk about so much. All right. Well, I'm super excited for part two to learn how I am a horrible partner. I've been a horrible (laughs) dater. And um, (laughs) no, how we can improve and get better. Okay, you guys, we'll see you tomorrow. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or MariaMenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.